Traveling the Vortex. Coming up for Join the doctor as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode number 330. And remember, the universe is your crustacean. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm pretty good. good. Are you enjoying your crustacean? I am. Did you guys have a good week? Yeah, it was fun. Do anything fun? <laughs> no. I went and saw Lego Batman movie with Mason yesterday. How was that? It's fun. It's a fun movie. I wouldn't go as far as say it's a good movie, but it's, <laughs> it's fun. And did it's, Mason like it? He did. He had a blast. It's fun and funny just from the sheer standpoint that it just really pokes fun at Batman and the whole Batman lore. And I mean, it makes callbacks to all of the Batman franchises in film and the TV series. Mm-hmm. And they bring every villain out of the <laughs> rogues gallery of villains all the way back to Craighead from the uh, series Vincent Price's character. I mean it's just it's a lot of fun and in, in, especially in the meta Batman references that it makes to itself. Mm-hmm. And then there's quite a few surprises in it that I was quite quite pleased with. The, like your personal favorite yeah, villain yeah. from Doctor Who. Except for they never they never <laughs> call them the Daleks in it. They never oh. call them the Daleks and the most interesting part of it is they probably are the movie Daleks from the Cushing <laughs> era and not the Daleks from TV. But it's funny because when he references them, he says, and big scary robots, ask your geek friends. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Nice. And so, but they show them. I mean, and they're literally Daleks. And sadly, the Daleks in the Lego movie look so much more like Daleks in the robot than the Daleks in the Lego Dimensions game. <laughs> Ten times more like robots or like Daleks. In fact, they're more similar to the um, what was the character builder? Ones oh yeah, the that, one that actual. Yeah, yeah they, they don't really look like Daleks. So, if I have one complaint about Lego Dimensions, it's the look of the Daleks. You know, I yeah. went into that defending Daleks <laughs> for the longest time, and the more I played, the more I got frustrated with the fact that they don't look that much like Daleks. <laughs> So, and then, of course, to throw that in my face, then to go see Lego movie and go, oh, that's how you do Daleks and Lego. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a few other surprises that show up as far with it, because the, the premise is, is that Batman inadvertently locks up all the villains because the Joker gives himself up, but it ends up being a big ploy. So he ends up rounding up villains that aren't Batman villains, ones that have been banished <laughs> to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> and the villains that have vanished to the Phantom Zone aren't necessarily all Superman villains. <laughs> They're villains. Well, I'll give you a hint. The Daleks is one of them. <laughs> there are several others that I would hate to ruin the surprise, but um, there's if if you know anything about it, you'll know another big name villain that's in it that uh, Warner Brothers might have the rights to to use. Although I don't know that they used his name either. But you know it was who it was. <laughs> I mean, you totally knew who it was. Hmm. Skirting the edge of the issue. <laughs> well, I'll go just a little further. I noticed that uh, Rafe Fiennes is the voice of Alfred oh. in the Batman movie, but he's not the voice of this particular character <laughs> in the Batman movie, which I thought was interesting. It is kind of odd. Yeah. So. All right. Now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have the rights to that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's it's, most definitely within the Warner Brother wheelhouse. <laughs> it's fun, and I thought it would and be in the Lego wheelhouse. From the previews, it seems like Robin was going to be kind of this annoying. Isn't that Michael Sarah too? It is Michael Sarah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be this annoying. <laughs> that's by default, casting. Michael Sarah. <laughs> Tag wow, on, perfect casting. Goof up, but he really ends up being actually a quite a. I mean, it's still very tongue in cheek and silly, but he ends up being a pretty decent Robin. It's not bad at all. So. Hmm. And then uh, Rosario Dawson is uh, uh, Commissioner Barbara Gordon, <laughs> or Batgirl, as everybody yeah. would definitely know that. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting and funny. It's funny. There's it's it was definitely worth the buck and a half or two bucks, whatever it is now at the cheap theater hmm. to see it. I don't know if I'd buy it. Well, maybe now I would because Mason liked it so much. I might buy it for him. For so, him. Yeah. yeah. That was it. That's all I watched really this week. We didn't watch a movie last night because I put together a dresser. <laughs> we saw your Facebook posts. Yeah. Or we saw Sarah's Facebook yeah. posts. Yeah. yeah, you were too busy to I Facebook too bu- post. Yeah, I was I was busy putting together a dresser. I don't think I mentioned the saga with this dresser. So we bought the crib 
and the change with the changing table attached and there's a matching dresser to go with it we go back to Sears to get said dresser and they don't have it even though it's on the floor and it's on sale they won't sell us the floor model Delta the maker has discontinued that color oh yeah so we've been on the hunt for a dressing dresser that will match and we wound up going to Nebraska Furniture Mart in Kansas City finding ironically another Delta dresser but a different color that's close enough so did they have and it wound up being cheaper than the Sears one <laughs> and whoever designed that dresser is evil Absolutely most furniture evil. manufacturers belong in asylums so I would agree the back <laughs> took screws no big deal says don't use drill you hand screw them in you know except only the top part of the backing had the pilot holes you had to create the holes with the screws for the rest of them. Ooh. 14 of these, no, 11 of these screws, you had to start the hole by hand and get them in. Couldn't you just take a little tiny nail and start your pilot hole and then... Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, uh, halfway through, I was this close to just going and getting the drill <laughs> and just doing it anyway. You know what I'd have done? Gotta get the drill. I'd have got yeah. the drill. Do not get... Well, screw that. <laughs> That's why I bought this thing. <laughs> Consequently, I don't have to do it that hard. that's why your chair may need some Allen wrench work. <laughs> <laughs> the brand new chair. I have to give it props for having a ball wrench screwdriver. So it's like a. Oh. So it came with a ball wrench screwdriver? Yeah. Get so it's out. like an Allen wrench yeah. screwdriver that, yeah, that's how you did a lot of the Allen wrench. Oh, and man. then it came with an Allen wrench to tighten it the rest of the way. Well, that's neat. Yeah. So even though we didn't watch a movie last night, we did watch one tonight. What'd you watch? We watched Moana. And we both really liked it. Such a yeah. good movie. You're really welcome. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed it. Now Glenn's mad at me. <laughs> Why is that? Because now that's stuck in my head. Uh, that one would be okay to be stuck in my head, and that one's also quite frequently played in our house and our cars. And our, we all still love that soundtrack. Yeah, and we were going to get the soundtrack, too, because we really enjoyed it. It's just a great There's, movie. Having listened to... Hamilton a lot, and <laughs> <laughs> having listened to Into the Heights, Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical, there's a lot of his musical like storytelling song style in that yeah. music. What's funny, because I told you, I think, when we were watching the movie, and, yeah. and Caitlin goes, wait a minute, is that Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> and she's listening, she says, yeah, you can't miss his voice. And she goes, wait a minute, did he do this music? <laughs> <laughs> See, we that's, knew that going into did. it, so that's why we were excited about, about seeing the movie. And and I, I, Jermaine Clement as he did. Uh, uh, or the, the crustacean. Yeah. Uh, shiny. Yeah. Man. Shiny. <laughs> that was that. one of my favorite songs, too. I, and very much in the vein of uh, uh, a uh, Flight of the Concords song. I, the I mean, just I'm the style that he him, does it. I haven't watched Flight of the Concords. But oh, the you more, never have? No, the more oh, I'm exposed to him. It's on HBO. I think I want to go, go back and watch, watch it. Now. It is yeah. really funny. There's lots of music in it. It in looks fact, like it'd be really good. He I, was one of the main guys in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I Well, he's in Legion, too. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I got that part. Yeah. <laughs> Still haven't finished it, but I got that part. He's in... Uh, I actually had a CD or two. I think somebody burned the CDs for me of the first couple of Fly of the Concord albums that came oh. out. And then I was on uh, iTunes just recently, and the full collection was 20 bucks. Like all of the albums for twenty dollars, and oh, one wow. of the albums alone is fifteen ninety nine, and so I was like, oh, "Yeah, please click." So now I've been listening <laughs> to the Flight of Concords albums again. We did also start American Gods. We watched the pilot. How's that going? How did uh, How did Sarah it's, deal with that? <laughs> not too bad. It's weird. That Viking opening, I bet, was well. I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't the part she really. The next day, the only thing Shirley said to me was the scene with, oh, I forgot her name. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, that scene. It's it's weird, man. <laughs> Sarah's not sure if, if she wants to continue on watching the show. It's weirder than Legion. Really? I thought. It's a different kind of weird. Yeah. It's a different kind of weird. It's kind of like Preacher Weird. I haven't watched Preacher yet either. Yeah, it's kind of like Preacher Weird. But but I'm intrigued. Uh, Ian McShane is so engaging in the role that I'm intrigued to see what happens next with it. And I've heard so many great things about the novel that I haven't read that, so I don't I don't know how it compares so far. But 
I'm going to try to continue on with it, even if Sarah decides to give it up. I, I think that's... It, it is very much Preacher weird, but whereas Preacher was weird in a way that made me kind of go... Uh, well, where are you going okay, with this? I, have more I, I of think I'll stick with along this. with it. American Gods is weird in that I have no idea what's going on. I don't care Ian McShane's on screen. Because well, he's I mean, that captivating. The fact that it's Brian Fuller behind it, too, lets me have more faith in the show. Did you watch episode two yet? Not or? yet. We it's, just got episode one done. Episode two The end furthers. was kind of weird for her, too. And I think had it not ended the way the first episode ended, she might be more inclined to continue. I think she's going to give it at least one more episode. Two, I think, is structurally more linear. Kind of like Legion did. <laughs> kind of like Legion. Um, it's still weird, and there's still some some random non sequiturs that are that are kind of thrown in. Yeah, it's got some moments, kind of like was the, the Curse of the Black Freighter from Watchmen. It's mm. you know something that really apparently doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the story arc, but they're inserted in these little vignette pieces. Maybe they'll all tie in later. I don't know. I haven't read the book either, but I'm assuming it's on my list. I'm assuming just the Viking beginning and. Obviously, whatever weird dream stuff is happening does tie in, but one would hope. Is, is there is the other vignette thing something like the Viking stuff? It's um, because I'm assuming her the the woman's role, uh, that like the one other, quote unquote god that we see, that's not interacting with our main character. I'm assuming that eventually ties in. Yeah, the I end would hope so. Somewhere this, the second one is Orlando Jones, uh, talking to a a slave ship full of slaves. And he's got a whole monologue. We just did a lot of stuff around the house. We rehung all our autographs and got the girls' room done and lots and lots of project stuff here. And then I, I had a revelation this morning. So I don't know if I've talked about it, but Cheyenne eats like nobody's business. This kid puts away food. I have no idea where she puts it. She's got a little Buddha She's belly. making up for all that formula she couldn't drink for Apparently. <laughs> for a year. And quite honestly, it doesn't matter what it is. You put it in front of her, she'll eat it. She'll let you know later if she doesn't like it. But you know, like, <laughs> everything just kind of disappears into this maw. It's just, yeah, feed it. So she had breakfast this morning. She had two things of cereal and a banana. And then we were making our breakfast. Because, of course, you feed the baby first. It's just the, you know, you can't... You can't tell her it's being prepared. Wait, no, it's got to be already ready when she gets up. So she ate, and then we had our breakfast, and we had biscuits and fried egg and a sausage patty and cheese sandwiches. Oh, I love this. Um, so did it all from scratch, and well, not the biscuits, but had them ready to go. And Mel tells me when I go in to get mine, she goes, "That biscuit is for the baby. That piece of sausage is for the baby." And I'm like, "She just finished eating." <laughs> well, Cheyenne had toddled into the kitchen at this point and stood there and gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> Like, how dare you insinuate that I am not allowed to have food? And then her expression softened just a little bit. And the exact facial expression she had was, we've had breakfast. What about second breakfast? <laughs> and it dawned on me, the kid's a hobbit. <laughs> she's got the curly hair. She eats breakfast, second breakfast, elevensies. I mean, she's just constantly eating. So now I am on a quest. I am going to make a hobbit costume for her for British Fest. Oh, oh there you go. Because yeah. she doesn't crawl anymore, so the canine outfit's out. <laughs> <laughs> She'd make a good hobbit. She'd make a good hobbit. And that bag end would be a great place yeah. to take a picture of. Yeah. You know the cute hobbit children in Fellowship? I didn't know that they were actually Peter Jackson's actual kids. Those are Peter Jackson's oh. kids, the really cute ones. She's got that stupid curly hair that just like, yeah, you look just like that kid. So, <laughs> I think for time, Eddie, she'd make a great bill. Yeah, she would. Ooh, yeah. Maybe we can find her a little jean jacket, and that would work. I could have segued into this from uh, Lego Movie, but it just uh, it just occurred to me. Um, I have finished Lego Dimensions, the uh, a story. The story, yeah. Oh, congratulations. Story, yeah, yeah, good job. Is it good? Uh, so are you? You're no, not done yet. I'm not done yet. <laughs> There is Harry Potter an, book. Like you haven't spoiled this, have you? There is an incredibly awesome super secret surprise that happens. I don't think I spoiled that. You know about it, right? I mean, you you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, I think so. It's a quick, if you blink, you miss it, but it was really cool. <laughs> okay. And it's Doctor Who related, so do you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. now? Okay. <laughs> You'll... Floor, your mouth will drop to the floor when, Ooh, it, when it okay. happens. Well, now so. there's a little more incentive to, <laughs> to go finish. I try and find some time to carve out. That's to just do that. I could not put that thing down. I'd oh, come yeah. home and I'd play an episode every night. That's how I kind of got through these last this last well, even this last week because that's what I've been doing. Uh, and because you can play an episode in 
our or level, I suppose. In I think I was even doing well again. I'm playing. Level. I'm playing with Harry Potter. So Harry oh. Potter is so OP, guys. <laughs> You've got to buy Harry Potter just so you can go back when you do the the free play. Oh, because I'm, you can I'm skip <laughs> a third. Oh, have you done all the free plays yeah. too? I call them free plays, but just well, go back and are, redoing yeah. the, the levels again. But um, the, now that you've completed it, here's how you get all the rest of the stuff yeah, you need to complete it. Exactly. <laughs> um, which is great. I mean, I, I like the, the replayability of that. That's I've yeah. always liked that about LEGO games. Is yeah. If I don't get it through the level through, I have fun playing the level and then realize, okay, I can come back and get this stuff later. Harry Potter, you can circumvent so many of the little dimension things, which the little portal things. Because oh, really? He, yeah, he shoots water. So you can put fire out. He flies. You can go all the all, all of the places where the little you know three portal thing goes, where you go through. Oh, yeah. Unless it's behind glass, then you yeah, have to use yeah, the portal. Yeah. It's and it's got to be easier to control than the TARDIS because trying to fly that thing yeah, is annoying. It is annoying. I <laughs> it's like no wonder the Doctor never gets where he's supposed to. Taking <laughs> off, I inevitably knock over two or three of my own guys before I finally get yeah, it high enough that I'm not yeah. flying. Although jumping in that and decapitating Daleks is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Or are you time-ramming them? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Harry, Harry Potter's pretty OP, so it, that, that helped <laughs> getting through a lot of that well, stuff. Well, let's move on to news. First up in news, our good friends over at Candy Jar have announced the second novel for this year called The Daughters of Earth by Sarah Gronwagen. If the name sounds familiar, she wrote The Lock-In. So now she gets to do a full-length novel, and Sally gets to take a more central role. Yay! Look at synopsis online. You can go and read. And included forward is by Una McCormick, who oh. written for Who and Star Trek. So that's the name I recognize. Yeah. So it's available for pre-order, either individually or part of a discounted bundle, for the UK only. Unfortunately, our other bit of news is if you don't have Spotify, you can now listen to Big Finish. On Spotify. If you don't have Spotify, well. <laughs> you can now listen to. Big if you don't Finish have Spotify, Spotify, you might want to consider getting Spotify. Ah, that's what was missing. <laughs> because you can now listen to Big Finish. There has been a large selection added of radio plays. A lot of the. I think it's the first fifty of the main range. Yes. Because I know it goes up through Zagreus. First fifty of the main range. Uh, several special releases, including Unit Dominion, the Davros Mission. I believe the first full Fourth Doctor Adventure series, the first full Eighth Doctor Adventure series, series of lost stories, several companion chronicles, the entirety of the Destiny of the Doctor, so that 50th anniversary audio go stuff, uh, some short trips, the stage plays, several Bernie Summerfield, Dalek Empire, several Django and Lightfoot, some units, I Davros, and Cyberman and Charlotte Pollard, Series 1. Excellent. Stuff we haven't even got to yet. Yeah, there's yeah a lot more, of stuff than, we more than half we have, but yeah, there's a good chunk of stuff on there. It's, it's a lot of the peripheral stuff that we haven't got to. Right. Well, you guys have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I didn't have Spotify before this, so I went and downloaded it, and was a little surprised to find out that the free version is shuffle only. Okay, here's here's the deal. That's with it. I was so, ask you about that because I I used are, to listen to Spotify Fi, and back when I was listening to it, it was only shuffle only. So here's the deal, the, and, it, and and they're broken up by track. The mobile version of the Spotify app is shuffle only. Oh, so if I've you download it on your desktop, you can play straight through, and there's no problems with it. But for free, for free, because you can. Because I refuse to. I'm sorry, I love Spotify. I refuse to pay for Spotify. I'm just not that even committed with the to big it. finish and even with big finish it's like I'll totally sit and listen to it on my computer at work or something like that but the handful of times I've wanted it on my phone and not been able to listen to a playlist in order was like nope I will not give you a dollar 99 for this service and just it's a month, just, right? Yeah, just or whatever the price is I don't, I don't is. know what the price is but either. just to be able to unlock that functionality I'd rather be angry <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Well, if you're listening to music, it's not as big of a deal to shuffle. But if you're listening to an audio play, you can't listen to it shuffled. Right. Because it's, like I said, broken up by but I put I put my playlist together because they're like my mixtapes. Well, There's I a like reason for putting Spotify them in the Spotify would be damned for trying to make money. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jeez. They're terrible people. Gosh. They're terrible, terrible people. <laughs> Pandora is the exact Next same thing. You know, they'll be charging us for our oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> what an idea. I wonder if I could make money on that. Someone should write a story about that. Yeah. 
but no, it's a great service, and I love it on my computer. But on mobile, it's like eh, if you want the full blown thing, you got to well, pay see, for see, it. See what so. I like about it so far, from what I've used. I mean, I got like a seven day free trial for the pro version or whatever. But I like being able to. Okay, I like this, this, and this. It sets up a mix for me, and I can just shuffle through all these albums or these artists. That's kind of nice. I like that aspect of it. I really enjoy that. Well, filing at work, that's nice. <laughs> their um, Monday morning playlist. I forget what it's called. The, it's the, the every Monday morning, there's a new Monday playlist that they come mm. out with, um, and it. I don't know why, but it tends to skew heavier into '70s rock and stuff that I listen to. Oh, that yeah. It's like, oh, this is great. Rediscover the classics. And it's like you're not rediscovering anything. I've heard all this, but I love it. So okay, bring it on. <laughs> So that's kind of my Monday until recently when Monday became listening to us prattle on because I have to edit the show. I, I don't listen to Spotify anymore. <laughs> You're young enough, you'd probably enjoy the Thursday playlist, which is all 90s flashback. Oh. <laughs> I like the 70s stuff a lot more than the 90s stuff. You'll have to let me know what your username is so I can friend you, and then you can mm. share all of my Guardians of the Galaxy playlists that have oh, come yeah, up. Nice. And that's where I got all of those. I, I haven't gone to creating my own yet, other than whatever they created for me. And Glenn's over here going, I still can't get on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said, I used Spotify a lot, I think, when it first came out. But I haven't. I listen to my own stuff, you know. <laughs> I've, just, I've got enough of a library that... Well, you're the iTunes guy, so you've yeah, got it everywhere yeah, already. Right. But hey, big finish on Spotify. Yeah, that's exciting. That exciting. More access to a lot of people. And if, if nothing else, it might get people interested to go purchase more stuff from. It gives finish. you the opportunity to try before you buy. Yeah. You you're won't regret it. No, nope. you won't. That's it for news. Let's move on to feedback. First up in feedback is Justin. Justin writes, Knock, knock. Hey guys, Justin again. Have not gotten a chance to finish Knock, knock yet. I had to stop because my seven-year-old was loving it and wanted to finish it later. She's a casual Doctor Who viewer. If she sees something interesting, she is glued. Her favorite episode, as I have noticed, is The Girl in the Fireplace and The Zygon Invasion two-parter from last season. It's nice as a parent to have a show that my children and I can connect to. There are so many good shows on TV, and so few are family safe. So Doctor Who is the one show out of the few that my wife and I have time to watch that we can watch with the kids around. So for that, any new episodes, even if they're well past Clara's prime, I enjoy. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to the pod. Justin. P.S. Do we assume that a master or two are behind the door? Because I do. <laughs> I think you're in the majority of people at this yes. point, Justin. Absolutely. And thank you. I'm glad you're... Good, good to hear from you again, Justin. Glad your child is enjoying as well. Yeah. Todd, one of the sidekicks at Planet Comic Con, he kept asking me about the podcast and what we do, and I was explaining Doctor Who, and he's never watched it. And he says, okay, I'm, I think I'm just going to have to break down, and I'll watch some Doctor Who. I said, yeah, you should. He asked me where to start, and I recommended Rose for the new... That's, it, that's the safe one for new viewers. So he sent me a Facebook message and said that he and his kid watched Rose, and his kid was nuts for it that this was the new thing and he said it's really great because there's a lot of stuff that he's into that mom kind of poo-poos so the kid doesn't get a chance to get exposed to it mm. but they watch this together and it's too late he's latched into it now so that's just <laughs> all there is and he just sent me another message later that uh, they'd watched a couple more episodes and the kid was running around the neighborhood with his friends and he heard him through the kitchen window going okay we've got to get in the TARDIS and run off before the blah 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 so he's actively playing now oh, I was like yes awesome. got another one <laughs> get him while they're young yep up next is Chrissy. Chrissy writes the story so far. Dear Vortex Boys, I've been meaning to send in feedback for the past two weeks and life has just been kind of crazy, so I haven't been able to get to it. But I've just finished listening to your reviews of Thin Ice and Knock Knock, and I want to chime in on those episodes plus Smile. Honestly, Smile and Thin Ice didn't really do anything for me. In both those episodes, the Doctor and Bill were excellent. Everything else around them that I was meh about... In Smile, the emoji bots were much cooler than the random murderous humans that practically materialized out of nowhere at the last minute, and the ending felt like a cop-out, which makes sense when you factor in that Frank Cottrell Boyce wrote In the Forest of the Night, and that episode had similar problems. Isolated concepts that were cool on their own, but bringing them together made for an incoherent mess. Also, how can microscopic robots make up an entire city? I know you have to really suspend your disbelief watching Doctor Who, but even that was a stretch. And then there was the blandness of Thin Ice. Sorry guys, I know this was your super duper all-time favorite for the season, but this episode just did not do it for me. All the side characters were just sort of there. There was nothing special or notable about them. They were just pie-stealing orphans. And 
That's it. Which is sad because I know I was supposed to feel something for these people. But in the end, I just did not care about them. Even the villain in Thin Ice was just a bland, run-of-the-mill, walking trope and nothing more. They might as well have cast emotionless robots for all the impact they had on me. I think I'm sick of the whole humans are a-holes trope. After a while, you need something new. So while you guys praised both those stories, I just didn't see it. Even the doctor's speech in Thin Ice that's been so highly praised didn't stick with me. Not because Capaldi's performance wasn't great, because it was, but the words felt empty and meaningless. I don't know how else to describe it. Don't know what else to say. Now, Knock Knock had almost the same problem. Bill's housemates were just kind of there for me as well. Because that episode was supposed to be this horror movie haunted house sort of thing, it was okay that I didn't care about them because they were going to act dumb and be cannon fodder for the inevitable monster anyway. I knew whatever was wrong with the house was going to get them, possibly kill them, eventually, so I didn't feel bad for not caring about them. The characters I did care about, other than the Doctor and Bill of course, was the Landlord and his daughter. The Landlord because he was this creepy villain with a terrible secret, and his daughter slash mother, boy that sounds terrible out of context, because <laughs> she was the secret. And well, she'd been turned into wood. There has to be some kind of interesting backstory there. And there was. It wasn't necessarily a nice backstory. Like you guys, I was not buying the landlord's excuse for trapping and killing unsuspecting tenants for 80 years. But it was an interesting twist that I quite liked a bit. And I did love that the mother finally took on her role as the parent and punished her wayward child, as it were, for his behavior. Then the housemates came back to life in the end, and I still didn't care about them. <laughs> but at least I gotten something cool out of the other two characters. So high marks for that. But through all my complaints about Series 10 thus far, I cannot and will not complain about Peter Capaldi or Pearl Mackey, because both of them have been fantastic through all this. I love their dynamic together, I love watching the Twelfth Doctor interact with a new companion, and I love Bill's excitement about seeing all these new worlds and times and creatures. That is something I will never get tired of seeing, the wonder and amazement in the Doctor's companions. The day that a new companion isn't completely in love with traveling through time and space will be the day that Doctor Who forgets what it's supposed to be. Luckily, we haven't come to that point yet, and all praise goes to Pearl for that. She is brilliant, and Capaldi's never been better. It stinks that this is his last season, but I guess it's good to go out on a high note. So far, and I'm writing this before Saturday, so this will change with the new episode, my rankings of the Series 10 episodes are as follows. 1. The Pilots 2. Knock Knock 3. Smile 4. Thin Ice hmm. And what's that in the vault? Probably the Master. I'm prepared to be wrong, but that's my guess for now. I have no reason for saying so, other than the marketing hype machine that made a big deal about John Sim coming back. Darn spoilery BBC. Hopefully life will calm down enough for me to write in feedback about Oxygen and send it to you on time. I've missed writing in, honestly. And it seems silly to miss weeks of feedback when there's brand new Doctor Who to talk about. That's all for now. Talk to you soon. And she did get in her oxygen feedback in time. She wrote, Plot holes for days. Dear Vortex Boys, Remember how we were all upset and insulted when we saw Kill the Moon and it was obscenely terrible and poorly written? I don't know about you guys, but that's how I'm currently feeling about oxygen. And I don't even think that any Who is Good Who motto is going to save this train wreck. Did Stephen Moffat come down with a nasty virus when this script was in production and couldn't properly oversee the finished version? This thing was a total mess. I have bullet points to explain this. Bullet points, you guys. 1. That cold open was unnecessarily cruel. When I said I wanted to care about the side characters, I didn't mean be obviously emotionally manipulative. That poor woman bears her soul to the guy she's with and he doesn't even hear her? And then she's killed by the spacesuit zombies? Alrighty, we're off to a bad start. 2. There is so much wrong with this super duper evil corporation that's programmed these suits to kill people and all the things that are wrong with the also wreck the episode's entire premise. First off, it is inefficient to force your workers to wear their suits on a space station and hoard all the oxygen. If they were really so concerned with saving slash making money, it would have been cheaper to keep the whole station oxygenated and pressurized, rather than maintain the individual suits. This company should have gone belly up years before the doctor got involved. 3. What are they even mining out in space? The episode says they're mining copper, but where? How do you mine in space? They're on a space station. 
for all we know, they're just sending people out there as part of some kind of psychological survivorish experiment to see who actually comes back alive. Reminds me of the movie The Haunting, where the psychologist guy tells people that they're participating in a sleep study, but he's really studying how people respond to fear, and he has to lie to these people to make the study work. Actually, that would have made a better premise for this episode than the one we got. The humans are a holes trope would have actually worked in that case. 4. Also, who is applying to even work for this company? You keep killing off your employees and sending new employees to replace your dead workers? After a while, people are going to see the corpses and they will talk. Or the families of the employees back home are going to wonder where their loved ones are and demand an investigation into what is going on. Unless this company employs oppressive North Korea-style tactics to keep their people from getting the word out, by then you're so far away from anything remotely resembling honest capitalism that the heavy-handed message in the episode falls completely apart. Again, poorly written and kind of insulting. 5. If you can build space suits with AI coherent enough to move on their own and stop someone's central nervous system, why in Rassilon's name are you not using this technology to build robots to run your inexplicable space mining operation? You don't even need flesh and blood people to work up there. At least not beyond a minimal maintenance crew to keep things running as they should. With the decisions this company has made, there is no reason they should still be in business. With the questionable business-like practices, it wouldn't have even lasted long enough to establish a space station. It should have been out of operation before it even had the chance to get into space. Or a different company with a better sense of how to make money ethically, how to treat their employees with respect, and how to actually utilize their technology and equipment would come in and take their place, and probably be even more successful. 6. Also, how is it that Nardole is the one making awkward bordering on Rayson's comments to the blue alien guy? With Bill f being from modern day Earth, I can see her trying to get used to meeting alien races, and not quite knowing how to react to them and those encounters being kind of touch and go. But Nardole? He's from the 51st century, or thereabouts, he's from a the future, and he's from another planet. He's dealt with alien species and civilizations before. That's where he's from. How is he weirded out by a guy with blue skin? Makes no sense for a character of his background. We talk, when we talk about suspending disbelief with Doctor Who, that usually means being fine with exploding universes and space whales, saving whole civilizations, and wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey shenanigans. But this episode took on business and commerce, something that most people are quite familiar with in their everyday lives. The premise doesn't ring true, and the ham-fisted moral of the story falls apart because of it. And it's a shame, because Peter Capaldi and Pearl Mackey are absolutely wonderful. They're great together, and they're great on their own. The whole bit with the doctor trying to save Bill and worrying that she's dead was amazing. Bill's fear at her helmet not working and her suit malfunctioning was terrifying. Pearl was absolutely brilliant in that scene. They're both great actors, but they deserve much better material than what, they're, what they've been given. But the group hug between the Doctor, Bill, and Nardole at the end was nice. So the episode has that going for it. I haven't looked at many other reactions to this episode, so it may very well be that I'm in the minority in my opinion. If that's the case, I'm fine with it. Maybe that's a sign that Doctor Who is drifting away from me, which is sad. But at the same time, it's not like I don't have a gigantic backlog of Doctor Who material to enjoy. Maybe this is just an instance of one season not clicking with me, and I may have to take a break for a year and focus on catching up with Big Finish or something and come back next year with a new Doctor and a new showrunner and see if that's more to my liking. Next week's episode looked like it might be fun though, so I'm not giving up on who just yet. That's all for the I have for this week. I wish it could have been more positive, but I do hope you are all doing well. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. Chrissy. Wow. Chrissy had feelings. <laughs> And bullet points. Yeah. We'll get to some of those things in a little bit, Chrissy. But first, last but not least, Kirk. Kirk writes, Hey, Vortex crew. This is a super short feedback message about Oxygen, which was a terrific episode. It may be my favorite Capaldi story overall. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kirk. I'm not laughing at you. It's just... On the heels of Chrissy's, it's just, you know... Just placement. The story was well-paced, lots of clever twists. Jamie Matheson is turning into a reliably excellent Doctor Who writer. Bill was effectively put into lethal situations twice. 
I was actually forced for a few moments to consider the possibility that they were going to kill her off mid-season. After last week's disappointing episode, this one was a home run. Grade A. Best to you and all your families, Kirk. Thank you, Kirk. Good to hear from you. And of course, don't forget, you can send us feedback by going to our website, TravelingTheVortex.com, and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. Or you can just send it to feedback at TravelingTheVortex.com. Are we ready to discuss oxygen? The Doctor, Bill, and Nardo answer a distress call deep in space, and find themselves trapped on board a space station. All but four of the crew have been murdered, and the dead are still walking. In the future, where oxygen is sold by the breath, and spacesuits are valued more highly than their occupants, the TARDIS crew battle for survival against the darkest evil of all. Bum, bum, bum! Oh, Glenn didn't like it. <laughs> Glenn agrees with Chrissy. No, I think if I could give as hard of a review as Chrissy did. The things I liked about it is I think it's it's very, it's an, it's an intense episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was really good. I do like the fact that it wasn't zombies in space, that these were actually dead people. The suits just happened to take over at that time. So it gives you the impression that these early on that these people have been zombified and they you know, yeah, they have yeah. some control over it, but they don't. They're really just dead bodies being walked around with suits. So I thought that was kind of a clever way to, to twist that. Although they do try to make you think about it. I agree with Chrissy on the opening sequences. I did feel like that was a little bit shove in your face set the emotion up early mm-hmm. because they really don't do much with that after that we have that one guy who has lost her and at the very end she happens to be in the suit that walks up to him and helps him and gives his oxygen so it's almost like oh she's doing the one last thing for him before but she's not she's dead i mean it's just, yeah. she has no idea she's giving him this there's no sacrifice on her part it's still the corporation trying to bail itself out because now suddenly the tables have been turned and the station's going to go up, and they know they're going to lose. And, and I will say, if that was the intent to tie that back in, now I have to assume that at some point the station refilled all the oxygen tubes because she had less she had air none. than he did yeah. when she was zapped. Yeah. But and why would the space station need to refill all those oxygen tubes if they don't need the oxygen anymore? Because the new crew is coming. Right. <laughs> I guess that's something. Um, I think that the the entire story feels like it's being built on a moral message. I mean, the whole thing feels ham-fisted. And while I'm an advocate of capitalism is broken now, and we need to figure out a way to make... I'm not saying wipe capitalism out. What I'm saying is we need to find a way to reinvigorate capitalism so that it's not so lopsided. On the other hand, this felt really ham-fisted. This felt like somebody was just really trying to drive too hard of a message and went a little too far, and, and I just... Chrissy said it so eloquently in a lot of the, the points that she made about this is an inept company because there are a lot of ways to make money. I mean, I think ultimately the reason why they're sucking the oxygen out of this place and not give it is because they want to charge the working class yeah. with, for the oxygen that they do get while they're on the ship. So that's the quick, simple answer. But yeah, there are a lot there are a lot more problems with it than there are answers. Capaldi, I thought was terrific. Bill really sold it when she thought she was going to die. I think the other thing that really bothered me the most about this is the fact that I really expected something different when the doctor said, you're going to go through heck and actually not what he said, but you're going to go through (laughs) heck and it's going to be bad, but I'll see you on the other side kind of thing. And then she like does the, you know, central nervous system shut down. And I thought, okay, that was weird. How are we going to come back from that? Because I really thought she was dead, dead, which is what they tried. You know, that's what they were going for. But just the whole reason for, you know, well, I knew that the it didn't have it enough have. power in order to... That just seemed unplausible to me, that it would yeah. shut down her central nervous system, and then she'd be fine after that. I mean, she obviously had some after effects, because she still had the yeah. bruising on her face, too. Because I got the impression after they did that, they cut the oxygen. Yeah. So wouldn't she be oxygenless that right. entire time? She, she had, should have had all of those symptoms that the doctors described to the classroom at the very beginning. Yeah. And the things that she started to go through so, when she lost air the first time and the doctor had to give him the helmet, give yeah. her the helmet. Even though it didn't fry her entire central nervous system, she still should have died. I had an issue yeah. with that too. So that was problematic. But I didn't hate the episode. I would like to say, I think, I, the, think the, I think the characterization and the intense nature of it really kept me captivated so it, it had that much going for it 
I think the idea is a cool idea on the surface. It's just when you start to think about it is when it starts to fall apart. As, you, as Sean said, when you peel away the layers. Yeah. Pull okay. some of those threads and it just starts to unravel. Maybe I don't like much. it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of come down on the opposite side of it. I, the, the, the open with, you know, the poor woman burying her soul and then the radio's broken. I thought that was funny. I mean, yeah, it's tragic, but it's it was it was it was a funny moment. It was even she kind of has she this. She had lived, <laughs> would have been funny. Yeah. Even she has this eye roll of oh great, you know something else to to not. To, uh, okay. I saw no humor in that at all. I just thought, I don't know. I I think it was meant to be humorous. Maybe I'm warped and a twisted individual. I, I thought it was know, funny. I didn't see anything because she she has the eye roll and she even says and once my radio is working i plan on telling you this in person because she's realizing the futility of oh geez really um and then i just wasted all of this oxygen to to do that so it's it's one of those kind of trying to keep her spirits up in the sense of these overwhelming odds so you get a funny moment and then you get a terrifying moment the shadow coming down over the the space station when the, the zombie things landed behind her i thought was oh wow Oh, I think I think there were a lot of things like that that were shot that were visually oh, cool. Oh, yeah, direction yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah, very well put together. And then she's zombified, and that's tragic and horrible and scary. And oh wow, and they do appear to be zombies. It's zombies in space. It's not, but it's kind of a cool way to do the zombies in space in Doctor Who, without it being zombies. If I have one complaint about how that was done the mechanical nature of the suits once they went into full-on it's like a oh, cyberman i mean it's just even the, the electrical stuff that cyberman yeah it, it was very yeah. reminiscent of you honestly probably could have done done cybermen instead of zombies and maybe had a better episode realistically Possible. it changes fundamentally the, the the workings of how the story set up what would really blow my mind is if we find out that it was Cybermen behind this, that that's who the corporation is. <laughs> Cybus Industries. Yeah. No, I'm conv- I'm 100% convinced the corporation behind this is whatever the corporation was from the Sunmakers. Mm-hmm. This is something screwball that they would come up with to make a profit. We're going to charge you for oxygen. And again, it's an idea that fits really well in the Doctor Who universe because it's just so outlandish that, yeah, probably, you know, but, as Chrissy pointed out, there are inherent problems with it. Now, I can defend some of her you know, criticisms when it comes to, you know, you're in space on a space station, what are you mining? Like they were on an asteroid. I think they were orbiting the asteroid. And yeah. Deep Space Nine was a mining station in Star Trek. And the little bit that came down at the bottom was basically a targeting laser that carved up chunks of moons and planets and things that they would then transport the ore up and process it on the station. Okay, I'm all right with that. I don't have zero problems with that. And we do get that shot of an asteroid or some sort of planetary body at the end of the episode. The idea of the super-duper evil corporation, I don't know. I've worked retail long enough that that didn't surprise me. It doesn't doesn't (laughs) phase me. I can buy it because there are a lot of corporations out there that realistically, they pay their employees just enough that their employees basically have to purchase everything to survive on at that store. And it's it's an old story. I mean, the, the old song, you load 16 tons and what do you get? You know, you're sold to the company store because you have to take everything out on credit in order to be able to work in that environment, even though that environment is actively trying to kill you, specifically mining. I mean, coal mines were notorious for that kind of stuff. So we're it's, bringing those back. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it's that far of a stretch to go, oh, you're in space. Well, you have to buy your oxygen. That seems like a terrible idea, but I'm sure they're probably hazard pay and all kinds of other perks that they throw out at you that you go, well, I can afford to buy the air, and that's not too bad a deal, until you get up there and you realize that what a terrible contract this was that you signed. The idea that there's a large group of people waiting to find out what happened to them, I don't think so. because I, it, I, I kind of got the impression that these were kind of, people that didn't have families yeah they're going to be a lot of just the nature of the work is going to really draw people that don't have families don't have little kids waiting for their home they're probably on long shift rotations you're up there for a couple of years and and depending on what time frame this is in earth's history maybe even had to take a a sleeper ship to get out to the spinning station i mean there's any number of things within the doctor who realm that would be like nah that's probably not it and quite honestly, Chrissy, I, I think you're probably overestimating the 
importance of people to people. That sounds horrible, but there's there's so many instances where I think to myself, people should be outraged over this, regardless of what this is. People should be marching in the street outraged, and they're just not anymore. So the idea that there's a handful of guys that disappeared on a mining station somewhere, and people are like, eh, <laughs> just, that's par for the course for humanity. So you're very much right. This is a <laughs> humans are a-holes trope that's going on here. The big thing... She didn't even have that problem with this one. Yeah, she didn't have that problem with this episode. Ends up being. The, the big thing that... Um, well, let me just skip over forward to number six. How is it that Nardle is the one making awkward, bordering on racist comments? I loved the Bill and the Blue Guy scene. I thought that was so funny that Bill's just startled. She's not shocked. She's not horrified. She's just startled. She's never seen a blue person before. And this guy immediately goes to, great, we, do, we you know, rescued a racist. And for, a, for Bill, of all people, to be <laughs> on the receiving end of that, I thought that was really fun. And it was a clever little piece of commentary there. And then Nardle makes his comment, and I don't think it was in the realm of Nardle being weird and almost racist. I think it was Nardle being Nardle. Was it inappropriate? Yes. Was it terrible? Yes. Did it shatter that moment? Yes. Was it because of anything other than just it was Nardle? No, I think it was just Nardle. That's just something that open mouth, insert foot. That's kind of his... And I feel bad. I didn't think it was that cringeworthy of a well, well, thing. Nardle's been rouge. so great in the little small doses that we've well, had him to have a full episode with him. And I was kind of strangely siding with him at the beginning when he's like, well... Back to the TARDIS, right? And I'm like, finally, here's an intelligent companion. <laughs> and then Bill goes, yeah, let's go back to the TARDIS. And then Very the doctor gives doctor us... Your idea right there. Yeah. yeah. And then the doctor gives us the... There's four people that need help. Oh, okay. I can't fault you for that. I've got to... You know, this isn't just you wanting to well, explore for this... Nardle's still to go back because he was yeah. still pointy. <laughs> well, and now, now I disagree with Nardle because it's like once you establish that it's a rescue mission and that's why we're here okay, I have to go along with you. If it was just creepy's goings-on, it was like, nope, and I'd get back in the ship. But, oh, we're actually here to rescue people. Okay, I'm on board with that. Um, back to the joke, or back to the Nardle comment. I think the the what that suffers is, I, I think that was a joke written at the expense of Nardle. I don't think that it was thought that, oh, he's from the 54th century. He's from another planet. It shouldn't be something abnormal. I don't think he might put any thought in that, and that's the problem. I mean, I think that's what Chrissy's pointing out. Is, is there's the Therein lies the problem. Is I think it was a joke at the expense of, of Nardle, and Nardle happens to be the one to deliver it. And I think, unfortunately, the writer, was that Chris, this is Chris uh, Matheson? Is that who? Jamie Matheson. Jamie, Jamie Matheson. Jamie Matheson, I think, just wanted to insert that joke following that uncomfortable situation between Bill and the blue guy. And to kind of stack onto that joke, kind of that punchline, that finale, it just ends up in, in Nardle's court. And unfortunately, the joke gets sacrificed to the fact that it's almost unnecessary coming from Nardle. You're right. So, yes, I think you can retcon it into thinking or put it in your head canon that, well, you know, it's just Nardle being Nardle. I don't even think that's something that Nardle being Nardle would have said. I think, unfortunately, he just happened to be the one that got the joke delivery within the script, and so I think that's that's where that fell. Yeah, I don't think me. it was. I, I don't think it was Nardle attempting to be racist, or, or, right, or right. you know, I, I don't believe that at all. It, it did kind of come across that way, but I I feel like it was more just Nardle awkwardly feeling the need to fill silent moments with prattle. Like when he's going on and on and on about, oh, I used to date the computer, the the woman that voiced the computer. I don't care. Velma. <laughs> I really don't care. It's not clever. It's not funny. It's just you prattling on and on. What was her name? I don't care, Nardle. Shut up. And so it was just, uh, so see, it was just I one like, more thing to pile on that. See, I liked Nardle on this episode. Really? Yeah. And I've been a very much mad on him previously, and I thought his use was just right in this episode. I thought the I whole, agree, except for the joke, that joke. Well, <laughs> I the agree. whole to me, it felt like he was trying to break the tension for Bill, yeah. So it's not so a stressful situation. Just like she talks to the doctor about the doctor's making jokes, the doctor's not making jokes during that, and so it kind of is falling to Nardle to help Bill feel more comfortable. Okay, maybe maybe in retrospect, because he realized how uncomfortable he was making her explaining the science of right. things, yeah. that now he's, he's overcompensating. Yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. Agreed. That fixes it a little bit for me. 
I'm not picking apart Chrissy's email particularly. It's just that she brought up some very good points. Well, I think it's okay to rebut it. Oh, and the, you did enjoy the episode. The, the group hug. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Nardle inserting himself into places where he's not necessarily needed. Well, see, now that eh. was a joke at Arnold's expense that I think worked. Yeah. It was appropriate. It was the fact that Bill and the doctor have been through this thing together where he, you know, sacrificed his sight for her. And then in turn, she sacrifices herself in order to advance his plan even though she doesn't fully sacrifice herself and willfully sacrifice herself (laughs) so they've been through this this moment and for nardle who really hasn't done anything except for inserted commentary through the majority of this thing and and as you pointed out i think skillfully acted as the surrogate to make her feel better and get her through it because the doctor wasn't and so I think that that moment where he injects himself is, oh, I'm part of this team, was really kind of funny to me. I thought that was neat. I thought he had some great moments like when the we realized the Doctor is blind yeah. initially and how he handles that with Bill. Yeah. I thought all of that was handled so well. He could have I tried agree. to do it all as humor, and he didn't. Right. He took it seriously and, and addressed the issue as... To kind of ease Bill into it. I liked him at the beginning happened. of the episode too, when he's flat out, you know, calling the doctor out on the "you told me to do this," yeah. you know, and the doctor's That's making light of him and putting him in his place, and you're not doing a very good job. I ought to fire you. It's like <laughs> ducking your pay. You know, this is a right ship for that. You know, I liked him during those moments, but it was just uh, Nardle being Nardle. Um, I thought that. The majority of the episode, I thought it was really, like you mentioned, the intensity. I thought it was. It kept the the intensity up. And every time they pulled a, well, this is how we're going to get out of it. And then the AI just kind of one-upped them a little bit. Like, oh, we're in a section of the space station that's not on their map. And then they resort to either the 2001 lip-reading or monitoring communications, one way or the other, (laughs) that they hear Nardle. Oh, he's in Sector 12. (laughs) So, you know, able to figure things out. And that really kept that, okay, cool. It's not just them breaking down a door. It's, you know, and unfortunately the blue guy bought it, which kind of sucked because I thought he was a cool character. But um, as with any base under siege style story, people you like are going to bite the bullet. (laughs) And people you don't like aren't necessarily going to. And that was something I, I really appreciated that we didn't have that character. We we because yeah, it could have been very easy to insert that one, I don't know, maybe even a corporate higher up who's manning the station, who's like, well, I'm going to get saved because I'm important. You know, we we could have yeah, had that, and we didn't. That. These were all just working schmucks. And the one woman who was a little abrasive, I think, was justifiably so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she came across as too over the top or anything. So, and she could have easily spiraled into that hysterical character, Bill Paxton, and Alien. Yeah, <laughs> could have you know spiraled yeah. into that history, but she didn't. She just she had that whole, you know, hope is lost, and this, you know, you're you're trying to make it worse for us. And she was angry about it, but yeah. I mean, I've only got so many breaths left. Right. You know, quit wasting them. I think that was a justifiable mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So I appreciated the balance that the episode struck for all this. Um, and then the doc, the, the big reveal that, and of course, the oh, when Bill's in that corridor and her helmet shuts out and the suit stops, I'm running through options, and I'm going, I don't have any. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I I don't know how they're going to get out of this. And the doctor says, you know, remember what I told you in class? <laughs> Guess what? And then they went there, and I was like, wow. Now they fixed it, which was you know. But they didn't really go there. It, it was, was it was cool that they went there and then got out of it. We got to the verge of it, right? Yeah. Um, and I, so I like that. I like the fact that the Sonics were moved fairly early. Yeah. That that was a cool little. Oh, all right, cool. We lost both the TARDIS and the Sonic. All that right. Was, that was a great line. No tar- no TARDIS. Sonic's broken, and I'm blind. How unbearable am I going to be when I fix this? <laughs> So those were all cool moments, but then great, when the great line, yeah. yeah, then when the doctor turns out to be blind because he saves her, and she walks into that room, it's some of the mo- for, for all of the speeches that we've raved about with Capaldi, and he's had some great speeches. It's the quiet moments mm-hmm. that sell me so much on him as an actor, 
when he can deliver so much with just a look, or in this case, a blank stare, and a still kind of half-knowing smile that, yep, I'm kind of hosed here. <laughs> I just, I thought that was a super huge, powerful, emotional moment. Um, what do you so, guys think of the, the blind sticking? That they didn't fix it by the end of the episode. Well, don't, like any other cliffhanger, I don't know what to think of. I don't know where they're <laughs> going to go with it. So, I mean, it was it was one of those, oh, you know, moments. But Mel was concerned. She says, are they going to start him regenerating now? Is he going to leave mid-season? I said, I don't know. I mean. Maybe we'll get little regenerational healing until the end until he's run out of regenerational healing and has to fully regenerate. Maybe that's where they'll go with that. That could be. Now. I want to know what you think of the, the resolution of it is that I don't that's the only thing that I'm, I'm sort of just kind of numb about because I, I'm, I kind of understand what he did he was turning the tables so that it was going to cost the station basically it was a revolution or a, yeah, a revolution where it's going to cost the station we're going to go down with the ship and we're going to take the corporate's you know baby out with us I mean it was it was a ruse obviously to turn it so that it, they, they would end up giving them the oxygen and let them survive because then they became more valuable than they so I understood the idea but it really seemed to be almost a quick fix for their situation yeah. and it almost felt like one of those while it wasn't necessarily an info dump it felt like one of those quick fix moments that we didn't quite get enough of an explanation of 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 how he got to that point now, I understand the process of how he got to that point but it just it felt very truncated and a quick Oh, I've resolved everything with with one minute little statement, and I, don't, I just don't know. What do you guys think of that? I see it both ways. I agree with you that it felt abrupt. It makes perfect sense when when you have capitalism and, and commercialism and commerce as the bad guy, and that's the force that you're fighting against. How do you fight against that? Well, you you have to become, you have to make this unprofitable. Everything they're doing is for a profit. We're, we're selling you the oxygen, we're keeping you here, we're dumping the bodies, all because it makes us money. So now the idea that if we kill you in order to take care of business, but that's going to result in the loss of the space station and all the infrastructure and resources and everything that we've put into it, suddenly killing you becomes a negative cost factor. Well, that's not worth it. We don't want to do it. It's easier just to go ahead and give you the oxygen and let you be, you know... And, and not deal with it. Now, I'm sure the company's not factoring in the protests that are going to come on the back end of this, that now well, there are and, witnesses to what went on. And then the whole idea that this whole event causes the entire downfall of capitalism across the universe yeah. seems a little bit of a stretch to me. Well, that's just it, because we get I, this the next company should go line. under? Yes. And capitalism across the universe? Uh... I agree. That was that was hard to swallow with that throwaway line. And again, and another just quick throwaway line. That and and I, you really I, didn't I have to say anything about it. No. Really, in that situation, yeah. I didn't need the throwaway line about how everything fixes itself. You know, capitalism fixes itself, and there's yeah, no more capitalism. Yeah. It just again, but that's another story. That felt like the ham-fisted approach to driving home the moral. So yeah, it's definitely one that is a little um, blunt. In the, and and I, I read somewhere this week that Jamie Matheson commented that he was concerned the episode was going to be considered too political. That he he felt he nailed it too on the head and felt like he needed to rail it in. And Moffat and or the powers that be were like, no, it's fine, just leave it the way it is. Who knows, in the grand scheme of things, whether or not one or the other of them will be proven right in the, in the history of things. What I think is interesting is that, you know, maybe I want to like this more because it's a Jamie Matheson you know, because he's given us Mummy on the Iron Express and Flatline and uh, the girl who the girl something. who waited, and I've enjoyed all of his other stuff. So it was just kind of an automatic. All right, cool. So maybe I my expectations were set up differently. But the one thing that I can't pick apart or defend is number five from Chrissy's email. Where if you can build spacesuits with AI coherent enough to move on their own, yeah. why are you just not using robots? I thought of it during that episode, too. As soon as I read that, or you read that, the whole episode crumbled. And she's right, because, yeah, you're making money off of the oxygen, but... <laughs> <laughs> not enough. If that thing can move in the loading bay 
crates on its because own and not even have a body in it. Selling it's, them, for, selling them the oxygen doesn't make up for the amount of money you could save of not transporting people there, hiring, yeah, doing yeah. all the, that kind of payroll. Stuff. I mean, it just it, and and like you said, you put a, a a very minimal skeleton crew on board to kind of oversee things, and you're good to go. Yeah, I got nothing now. The whole episode suddenly doesn't work once you establish that is part of it. And I wish that wasn't the case because I thought it was a really cool zombie thing. But now it's like, <laughs> that's a really gaping hole that I don't know that I can fix. I can fix everything else and be kind of okay with it and still enjoy the episode. But that one now is like... And had mm. they not had the empty suit doing that, it could have easily been explained as... Well, it needs their bones to actually keep the spacesuit standing. Like, had they not included that one individual instance, you could almost hand wave it away. Yeah, you could elsewhere. give me a line that the the suits only work with people in them, and even though there's a dead body in it, it still registers it's, as it full. still gives it a, something a, a that I would have been like, oh, okay, framework but to move with. The, once you have an empty suit moving stuff, Chrissy's right. You could do this with robots, and now none of this makes sense. That's that's really the downfall of this whole episode. How do you fix that? Well, you get rid of the empty suit and you put that line in there or you know something along those lines. Then I can go back to being, yeah, it's just evil corporations and I'm okay with that. It's the... the everything else can be explained through the Watsonian view. But when you <laughs> apply the doyless to that, you can't, yeah. you can't yeah. do it. Yeah, now no. all of a sudden it's like, ah. Uh... <laughs> so maybe this does, you know... Maybe this goes in the in the loss column for for Matheson. Maybe this is his first real stinker for who. Like uh, I said, second. I wanted to. <laughs> what? Still didn't like flatline. You're weird. <laughs> you just sit over there and enjoy your your Dalek episodes. <laughs> flatline was great. I don't know. I just like I said I, I I agree with everybody else on the other parts about the acting. That that Capaldi and, and Mackie were fantastic and. I yeah I agree with Kirk. There were a couple times you know the way that Bill was put in peril on this one. I wasn't sure she was getting out of it either time, um, and I wasn't sure that I figured she would, but I didn't know how. Yeah, yeah. That's ultimately where I came down on it. I never thought, oh wow, are they going to kill her off mid season? Because I know they wouldn't do that. <laughs> but I was also on that flip side of okay, I have no idea how they'll get her out of this. And how is this experience going to? if they follow through with it, is it going to change her on yeah. being so ready to jump in the TARDIS on the next one? Because she's kind of had two in a row now where she's witnessed somebody die, and she's... Well, I guess that one was Smile, but... Uh, uh, well, three, because three. she thought all of the friends in the house died, too. Yeah. Which she wasn't upset about. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> they were kind of... She was upset, she just wasn't upset enough that her yeah real... Close friend did that died. Those friends were kind of lame. Would you miss them? <laughs> <laughs> that guy listening to violin music over and over and over and over in his room. No, I don't miss these people. See, case in point, Chrissy. Nobody gets upset over this stuff. <laughs> I thought it was a brave attempt. I thought it was really well done, except for except for robots. I, I now, I, now I can't fix that. The thing that concerns me the most is as Whovians, we can sit around here and talk about the good and the bad of this but what really worries me is both caitlin who's considerably a doctor who fan at least of the new series and my wife who's just a casual watcher both of them has said that this this season is their least favorite season really that they really enjoy peter capaldi this season but everything else all the episodes have been that with the exception of the pilot which they both loved the the rest of the series they've been very disappointed with now mason he he's nine and he watches them and he doesn't really give much of an opinion but when holly and caitlin both are saying you know just run really enjoying this season i think okay you're my gauge for the casual fan and it makes me worry that mm -hmm. there are other casual fans out there that are seeing these through the same eyes and so i'm a little worried about it sarah's kind of having a similar reaction i kind of really have to spur her to get sit down and watch these with me uh, the exception she wasn't as a big fan of the pilot she thought it was alright and really liked Bill but she did like the, uh, Thin Ice a lot and that's kind of the one that she's been yeah that was a great episode and this one she was just kind of like yeah it was it's not that 
And it's not so much that she's disliking the season. It's more that she's apathetic about the right. season. It's just not as engaging for them. Yeah. It's really interesting. I wonder, because I know at least online, the, the, the Who fans that, that I interact with are all kind of on the, oh man, this is the best you know season we've had in a while and it feels like a renaissance, it feels fresh and new, etc. But you're right, all of the casual fans, the people, well even Odd Duck Phil, who's a Doctor Who fan at least of the new season, has kind of been meh on, on, on the stuff on the proceedings so far. That's a really interesting point. I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah, I mean, we got to wait for the end of the season. See how many people also fall off watching. Well, it's certainly not. This season, is from that point of view, is not going to be the demise of Doctor Who. Because oh, they've no. already set up a new showrunner. They're going to be finding another actor to play the Doctor. So they'll at least attempt another season. And there may be a, a new, fresh approach that wins casual fans back. So. Well, I think the worry th- worrisome thing then is the viewing figures because if those casual fans do start to drift mid-season and it's only the hardcore Who fans who stick around, is that going to prompt a knee-jerk reaction from the BBC where there may be more meddling with what's set up for Ch- for Chibnall in season yeah, that's, 11? That's and you know, And what, what they let him do as opposed to what he wants to do. If they, you know, or or maybe maybe the reverse, maybe they start seeing budget cuts and well, you know things that well we're just not going to spend as much money on it because obviously it doesn't need it, or I don't know. There's a lot of things that are up in the air well, at this point. There's way too many factors. Yeah, yeah. Could, it's yeah. pointless to, to to worry about it. But on a happy note, Agents of Shield getting a season five. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if there's one thing you can apply here is that it doesn't have the viewership numbers that they want or expected. But the fans are still diehard fans of the show. And I think that's what's keeping it alive. So there's that that could probably be applied as well. So, well, and Who knows what the BBC America numbers are looking like and factoring into that aspect of it too. So yeah. Anyway, we can sit here all day and speculate, oh, yeah. speculate yeah. about that kind of thing. But I just that was an observation. I was a little soured on tonight when they both said that. Anything else on Oxygen? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right, Sean, we're com- coming up on the schedule. Well, next week on the schedule, um, just on a lark, we thought, you know what, the last appearance of Missy from uh, last season was The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch is Familiar. We should probably go back and revisit those. So that's our Friday Night Who offering for for this week. Maybe it'll come into play. Maybe not. In our continuing run of Master Stories. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the show next week will be Extremis. Is that the Marvel? Iron Man? Yeah. 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 I don't think Iron Man's going to be in this, but Pepper might. (laughs) (laughs) So Extremis for uh, the discussion topic for 331. All right. Well, uh, if you're uh, already supporting us on Patreon, we appreciate it. If not, uh, you can click on a link on our website to donate to this podcast, and we really appreciate that. Appreciate that. Everything that comes from Patreon goes 100% back into this show. And then there are some other links on the side of the page on travelingvortex.com. And I'd like you to check those out as well. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.